Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. I'm really pleased that you've decided to join us today because we're going to be developing our practice of chanting and meditation. Typically on Wednesdays, we do breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, and then on the third Wednesday, we will do Buddhist chanting. And I've been teaching how to do Buddhist chanting now for almost a year every three weeks. Well, now that I've been teaching it for quite a bit, what I'm going to start doing is teaching Buddhist chanting about every six to nine weeks with the full teaching that I typically do in terms of helping people to understand what the chants are, how to pronounce them, the translations of those, and essentially the benefits of developing a chanting practice about once every six to nine weeks. And then all the other times, we're going to be just using our chanting in order to ease into meditation, which we already do when we do breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. But on this third Wednesday, what we're going to be doing is essentially practicing the chanting by repeating the chants three times and then going into meditation so that we can practice meditation together as well as the chanting beforehand And then coming out of meditation, we'll do the chants three times as well. So here in probably just another three to five minutes, maybe even less, we'll essentially get started with doing the chants. Max and I will display the chants on the screen. We will go from the Arhang Sama Samputasa to the Natmotasa to the Itipiso. And that'll be one time through. Then we'll start over. Arhang That'll be the second time through. Then we'll go to the third time, the Arahang, the Natmo, and the Itipiso. And then at the end of that third time, then we will go right into meditation, ease the mind in, do some breathing mindfulness meditation today, and then maybe in the future we'll even include some loving kindness meditation in there. And then when we come out, where I would normally just chant once, we'll chant three times together. Once again, the Arahang Natmo Itipiso. Arahang Natmo Itipiso. Arahang Natmo Itipiso. And then if there's any questions, we can open up for questions. Today I do need to end class at 10.30, which is about an hour and a half from now. But otherwise, we will have time to practice our chanting, go into meditation, and then practice some more chanting. So once again, I'm really pleased that you've decided to join because you're going to get a chance today to practice your chanting 
practice meditation as a group, encouraging and supporting each other by coming together to meditate, and then practice some more chanting at the end of our meditation session. So let's go ahead and look at the chants from the triple gem, which is the Arhang Samasamputasa, then the Natmotasa, and the Itipiso. For Zoom, Max is displaying those in our Zoom classroom. And for me, I'm displaying them over the live stream. So everybody who is participating either in Zoom or on the live stream should be able to see these chants. So I would just like to invite you at this point to go ahead and take a position, either sitting, standing, or lying. Typically when we're chanting, we're in the seated position, but if you really would like to try one of the others, you can. And bring your hands together at your sternum, palm to palm. And now let's just chant three times each individual chant in sequence, and then we'll just go right into meditation. Take a nice deep breath. Arahang Samasamhotomakawa Potang Magawandhang Apiwate Ami Savakato Makawatamo Daman Namasami Sopatipano Makawato Savakasanko Sanghang Namami Napmodhasapakawato Arahato Samasamputasa Napmodhasapakawato Arahato Samasamputasa Napmodhasapakawato Arahato Samasamputasa Itipiso Makawa Arahang Samasamhoto Ovi Chacharanang Samhono Sakato Rokawito Anutero Purisa Dama Sati Satatawa Manu Sanang Puto Pakawati Normally we would slip into meditation there, but 
We're going to go back and do these two more times. Nice deep breath. Arahang Samma Sambhuto Makawa Potang Makawanang Apiwatiyami Savakato Mahakavata Tammo Damang Namasami Supatipano Mahakavato Savakasanko Sanghang Namami Napmorhasa Pakawato 
arahato sama samputasa napmodhasa bhagavato arahato sama samputasa napmodhasa bhagavato Arahato Sama Sabhutasa Iti Piso Makawa Arahang Sama Sabhuto Uichacharanang Samhuno Sakato roga vitu Anu tero purisa Dama sati satatava Manu sanang Puto pakavati Let's go ahead into meditation. Just settle the mind, settle the body. Just kind of establish a nice, still, and stable body the way that I've taught before, with a nice, stable base, a nice, erect spine in the hands and arms in whatever position is comfortable for you when you're ready start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose breathing in and out Breathing in and out. As you establish this nice, natural, consistent breath, bring the mind to the breath. Focus the mind on the sound of the air entering the nose or the sensation of the air moving over the skin into the nose. This is the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Just look at one breath at a time. If the body's breathing in, just look at that one breath on the inhale, breathing in. And if the body's breathing out, just look only at that breath going out, nothing else. 
Breathing in, focus on that breath. Breathing in. And breathing out. Only focus on that breath. Breathing out. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. And out. The mind's awareness should just be on that breath. As it comes into the body and as it leaves, the breath is the present moment. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. And out. If the mind wanders at all during the meditation, just cut it off, let it go. Bring the mind back to this breath. The mind's going to be interested in taking you on a journey to the past, the future, thoughts, ideas, perceptions. Wherever you notice that, just cut it off, let it go. Bring the mind back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. out breathing in and out I'm going to be quiet now and just let you sit with the breath one breath at a time one inhale and one exhale at a time, maintaining awareness of the breath, breathing mindfulness meditation. You have nowhere to go, you have nothing to do, no one needs you right now, this is your time. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out.
Stay with the breath, breathing in and out. Breathing in and out.
breathing in and out. Let's go ahead and come out of meditation and do our chanting practice. Arahang Samma Samhutam Makawa Potang Makawanang Apiwatemi Sawakato Makawata Tamo Bamang Namasami Sopatipano Makawato Sawaka Sanko Sanghang Namami Napmorhasabhakavato Arahato Sammasamputasa Napmorhasabhakavato Arahato Sammasamputasa Napmorhasabhakavato Arahato Sammasamputasa Iti piso makawa arahang samasamuto wicacaranang samuno sakatorokawitu Anu tero purisa dama sati sata tawa manu senang puto pakwati. Two more times. Arahang Sammasamhoto Mahakawa Potang Mahakawanang Apiwatiyami Sawakato Mahakavata Tammo Damang Namasami Supatipano Mahakavato 
อุวิชาจารณังสามโนสขาโตโรกาวิตุอนุเตโรภูริสาตามาสติสตาตาวามนุสนัง all right that was a nice little practice session because remember our buddhist chanting doesn't have any magical or mystical powers what we're doing is we're training the mind to have awareness of breath awareness of mind, to be concentrated, to be focused, to develop our memory, right? To have this appreciation and gratitude for the elders, for us to just really kind of ease the mind, slow it down, kind of create some stillness in the mind. where We're just slowing it down and easing it into meditation and easing it out of meditation. So if you've been working with these chants, you can do what we just did, where you actually go through them three times and then go into meditation and then come out three times. This will really help to develop the focus, the clarity, the concentration, the memory, and just ease the mind down in the meditation. After doing this for a few months or a few weeks or whatever you decide, then you might decide to go back to just once on the way in and once on the way out. But this is a way to really ensure you're slowing the mind down and easing it into meditation, doing what the Buddha taught, which is setting up mindfulness in front of you. That's what he talked about when he discussed entering into meditation. He talked about setting up mindfulness in front of you. And if you've been studying in our Pali Canon in English program, that teaching was in this book. I'm not sure if you identified it as you were reading through this book, the first book, Dhamma Trails. He talks about setting up mindfulness in front of you as you ease into meditation. And that's what chanting does for me. And it can do that for you too if you develop your practice. So let me open things up for any questions that you guys have about chanting or meditation or anything along this path to enlightenment that you would like to ask questions about. So our first question is from Aiden. He asks, David, do you have an audio recording of the chants so we can follow along of our own accord? Yes, all of these sessions are recorded on our podcast. They're also recorded on the YouTube site. And you can get these in any of the sessions where you see that I'm titling it with chanting. Also in the audiobook, chapter 11, whether you listen to that on the podcast or in the YouTube site, there's a really, really clear chanting because I did it at a professional recording studio and that person had all the equipment to make sure it was really really clear so you could do that you could do it with the audiobook but i haven't really just kind of cut out just the chanting by itself it's always kind of part of a meditation session or something like that but i certainly could aiden if that's what you're interested in is just 
a pure audio file of nothing but the chants, maybe going one time through. If that's something that you're interested in, let me know and I can probably cut it out of the audiobook that was done professionally and then publish that to the podcast and to the YouTube channel. We have a question from Judith. When we meditate on a bench in the streets or in a park where there's the occasional people and so stimulus might catch our attention, how do we know that we are meditating? If you're taking a dedicated, active, purposeful training session where you're actively training the mind, you're meditating. If somebody comes by and your mind is distracted because of the sound of somebody walking or talking or something like this, then you've at least got that awareness that your mind left the breath and that's developing mindfulness or awareness of mind. So you are involved in an active, dedicated, purposeful training session to eliminate certain qualities or cultivate certain qualities in the mind. It's just that during your meditation, the mind went somewhere else. It went to the sound or it went to the sensation of the air blowing or the smell of the flowers or someone's perfume. You're meditating. It's just that the mind didn't stay with the breath. And this is common all the way up until you get to enlightenment, that the mind's going to drift and go other places. The goal isn't that you eliminate the thoughts or you eliminate what you do is you get better and better at controlling the mind so that when the sound goes by and somebody walks by in the park, you might hear it with the ears and the mind knows that it's there, but the mind stays with the breath. Or if there's a smell of perfume or flowers, or you hear a sound of a bird, you hear those things, you might smell it, but it doesn't disturb the mind and you just stay with the breath. And what this is doing is training the mind better and better so that you can gain control over it. Because if you don't ever train the mind, then it's just going to run around and do all kinds of things and you're not going to be able to pull it back and pull it back and pull it back. So then when something happens in daily life that's disagreeable and you feel the anger arise, if you haven't trained the mind, the anger is going to come out through your speech and your actions. And now all kinds of unwholesome things are going to be as a result because you're being harsh and angry through your speech and your actions. But through training the mind in these meditations, what happens is something disagreeable happens, you feel a little bit of frustration or anger starting to arise, you catch it, you apply right effort. Because of right mindfulness, having awareness of mind, you are aware of that little bit of frustration or anger that was starting to come to the surface, and then you apply right effort, which is to abandon that unwholesome quality and arise wholesome quality. And now when you cut it off and let it go, now you don't allow that little bit of anger or frustration to come into your speech and your actions because you have more control over the mind. Now you can control it not to come through your speech and your actions. And what you'll do is you'll go through a period of time where you'll kind of be quietly frustrated or quietly angry, where in the past you might have been overtly angry or frustrated where people knew it because of your speech and your actions when things would happen you would be angry you would be frustrated it would come out in your speech and your actions and it would cause all kinds of problems well now when you start gaining control over this your mind's going to go through this transitionary period where certain things in the world are going to happen you feel that irritation you feel that frustration you feel that anger 
but you don't allow it to come out outwardly in your speech and your actions because you cut it off. So I call this being quietly frustrated or quietly angry. And that's better than what you were before, where you were overtly angry and frustrated. So you'll be quietly frustrated and angry for many months, maybe even a few years, who knows, depending on how much time you dedicate to your practice. But eventually that quiet frustration or that quiet irritation or that quiet annoyance will start to slowly fade and fade and fade more and more. The more you train the mind, the more you get better at having awareness of mind and catching it early and applying right effort. Because once the mind gets spun up and it's really running wild with anger, it's a lot harder to cut it off and apply right effort to abandon it and arise wholesome qualities. But as your mindfulness or as your awareness of mind gets more and more refined through the meditation and training, you can catch it early and just boom, cut it off right away and don't even allow it to come up. And maybe you just smile and you just you just cut it off and let it go because there's no benefit in allowing that anger or frustration to come out through your speech and your actions. And over time, this will gradually dissipate where the same things can be happening that happened a few weeks or a few months ago and you feel nothing at all because you've gained such control over the mind that not even a slight little annoyance arises where in the past you might have gotten so angry and so boisterous and so frustrated and let everybody know that you were frustrated and angry through your speech and your actions. Now that same thing happens and nothing arises at all in the mind. It just stays in the middle. And that's when you're like, wow, this stuff is really working. And you see the mind go from anger to frustration, to irritation, to annoyance, to nothing over that same situation. And that same situation is typically going to keep repeating every couple of weeks or every couple of months until you gain this control of the mind. So as you're dedicating more and more time to meditating in a park or wherever you'd like to meditate, moving the mind around, experiencing impermanence, you'll gain more and more control of it during meditation. But the real benefit comes that when you are outside in your daily life, you're going to gain control of it there too. And eventually it'll just always, always be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. It's just a matter of training it more and more and allowing the mind to get better and better at you controlling it rather than it kind of running wild on you. There's something you commonly hear in modern psychology, David, and this is a fairly common belief, it seems, that if we're quietly angry, then we're suppressing anger. And if we suppress anger, that we're bottling it up and it will eventually just explode and we'll do something that we later regret. What might be a response to that based on Buddha's teachings? Yeah, this isn't true because... Maybe in the past, when you didn't have a life practice and you weren't actively working to eliminate anger, if you were just suppressing it, suppressing it, suppressing it, then eventually it did pop. But if you understand the goal is to eliminate the anger and you understand what the cause of that anger is, which is craving, desire, attachment, and not only are you training the mind with breathing mindfulness meditation, generosity, but you're training loving kindness and practicing loving kindness. You're practicing to acquire wisdom. You're practicing compassion and sympathetic joy, equanimity, all these other life-fulfilling teachings that are guiding you on a path 
that you're cutting off this anger and you're eliminating it from the mind, you're essentially eliminating the conditions that are causing the anger. With modern psychology, yeah, if they're just bottling it up, bottling it, bottling it up, they're never getting to the root cause, which is the craving desire attachment. What we're doing in this practice is through training, breathing, mindfulness, meditation, generosity, through training, loving kindness, meditation, and practicing loving kindness, through acquiring wisdom, through eliminating the self and the ego and all these other good wholesome teachings that the Buddha teaches, we're getting to the root cause of the anger so that that anger never arises any longer. But in order to get there, you go through this period where you can call it repressing the anger if you want, but people tend to think that's a bad thing if you repress anger. But yeah, that's what you're doing is you're pushing it down, you're cutting it off and you're letting it go. But at the same time, what you should be doing is reflecting on that of why did that anger even arise to begin with? Why? Well, we know it was craving, desire, attachment. Well, what were the craving, desire, attachments? Ah, I was attached to eating food and I wanted that piece of chocolate cake and the restaurant didn't have it. And that was what caused the anger and made it arise. I need to eliminate that craving, desire, attachment for that chocolate cake and be comfortable with apple pie. Or I really wanted this certain thing or I expected these certain things and the ego's in there and something else. Ah, that's what's causing the anger. So let's address the root cause because once we eliminate those things, now the anger will never arise again. So you might be bottling it up and suppressing it for a period of time because it's not beneficial to come out into our speech and actions. But while you're bottling it up and suppressing it, you also should be wisely reflecting and saying, what was the original cause that arose this anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance? Let me solve that so that it'll never arise again. And that's how what we're doing here is very different than what's taught in modern psychology. Right, so there's a big difference between bossing up anger when we think that someone else is causing it versus cutting off anger when we know that we are actually causing it through our craving. Right, and then turning right around and saying, hey, I know I caused this anger because it's my own craving, desire, attachment. Let me now get to the root cause of that and figure out what craving, desire, attachment, probably more than one, is causing this so that I can eliminate that pollution, that taint, that fetter, that defilement from the mind so that I can get rid of this anger once and for all. So we're not just creating a bunch of bottles and just keep stacking up these bottles and they keep stacking up and stacking up and stacking up and bottling up all this anger and all of a sudden we're out of space. We're not doing that. We're bottling it up, setting it over to the side and then we're looking at the bottle and we're saying, why did I create that bottle? Why did I do that? What is in the mind that did that? Ah, I kind of see part of it right now and I can address part of it, but then it comes up again. So we're going to bottle that. We're going to bottle that. And then after two or three or four times, you're like, you know what? I'm tired of bottling all this anger. And if I keep going like this, yeah, I'm going to run out of space. So let me keep reflecting on why these bottles keep being created and I don't like it. It feels uncomfortable every time that anger arises. Let me get to the root cause and fix it. 
ah, now I fixed it. That particular craving's gone, and now there's no more bottles. Those bottles can be thrown out or recycled. <laughs> Those bottles can be thrown out or recycled and put away. And now the next thing that arises that creates frustration or annoyance, you look at that and you figure out what were the cravings there. And now when you eliminate those craving desire attachments, now anger will never arise based on those craving desire attachments ever again. So if you're tired of continuing to bottle up or suppress or repress or push aside or cut it off, yeah, because that frustration and anger, it feels uncomfortable in here, right? It's here in the mind, wherever the mind is. But people can have heart palpitations. They can feel stress on their neck and their shoulders. You can feel things in your face sometimes when you're getting angry and frustrated. All these bodily sensations are cues to you that the mind is not well, that the mind is not functioning well, and you're causing yourself to be discontent. And because you don't like those feelings, now the goal is to get to the root cause and solve it and wipe out, eradicate, destroy, eliminate all the things that are craving desire attachments in the mind, which includes these 10 fetters. And when you do that, then you'll never have to deal with any arising of any discontentedness whatsoever because the mind will gradually over time eliminate more and more of the causes of why this anger is arising in the first place. Okay, thank you, David. We have a question from IA. Could you please confirm, should your mind be empty when it's focusing on the breath? Thank you. The goal would be for the mind to be completely still and calm while it's focused on the breath. Let me share this with you. As I've talked about, you're not eliminating thoughts. What you're doing is you're gaining more and more control over the mind because when you're meditating and you're focused on the breath, the mind's going to want to go to the past. It's going to want to go to the future. It's going to have all these thoughts and ideas and perceptions that come into the mind. It's going to want to reminisce. And then two minutes, five minutes, however long you realize, oh, I'm not on the breath. And you cut that off and you bring it back to the breath. Okay. More and more and more that you do this, the mind will stay on the breath and the mind will be quiet the mind will be still, the mind will be peaceful, right? As you progress with this, and the mind is able to do that more and more, you will move through the jhanas, which are four jhanas, and then eventually you'll move into the four stages of enlightenment. Well, as you get closer and closer to enlightenment, the mind's still going to wander every once in a while, but you're going to notice it quicker and it's going to be easier to bring the mind back to the breath because you've got this training. Right now, if you're just starting out or you haven't been training in this way, you might take five minutes before you notice it. Or when you do notice it, it might be harder to bring it back. But the more you train this way, you'll notice it quicker and it'll be easier to bring it back and bring it back and bring it back. And then as you get closer and closer to enlightenment, the mind will have a tendency to just stay right on the breath peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, completely still and completely quiet. As this happens, the mind is completely empty, right? The mind doesn't have any thoughts whatsoever. The mind's been completely purified of the 10 fetters. These 10 fetters or these 10 taints or these 
pollutions of the mind have been eliminated over the course of your practice, many months and years, you've eliminated all this pollution. The mind is focused on the breath. You've eliminated the defilements, craving, anger, and ignorance, right? It just focused on the breath, quiet and still, right? Peaceful, calm, serene, and consent with joy. And that's been happening for longer and longer and longer periods of time and frequently over all your meditations. It's going to take a while for you to get there, but it will. And then what ends up happening is while you're stuck on that breath and while you're focused on that breath, because you've cleared out all this pollution from the mind, what's going to start happening is you're going to start getting wholesome thoughts. You still don't want to attach to them. You still don't want to hold on to them. You still want to come back to the breath. But what's going to happen is you're going to start getting what some people call insight or wisdom during your meditation periods. But you have to quiet the mind and you have to still it and you have to eradicate all this pollution of the 10 fetters and the defilements, the three poisons, right? You have to eliminate all this poison, all this pollution from the mind to get to a point where the mind's still and peaceful on the breath for extended periods of time over multiple meditation sessions. And what will gradually happen more and more is you will get this beneficial, wholesome insight or wisdom during your meditation. You can't crave it. You can't want it. You can't be looking for it because if you've got craving and you're looking for the wisdom and you're looking for the insight, then you're not enlightened yet because you're expecting it. And it's not going to happen in every single meditation. But when you still the mind to the point where there is no more craving, there is no more anger, there is no more ignorance, all the 10 fetters are gone, all the pollution's gone, and you're able to just stick on the breath and it's just focused all the time, there will be occasions where wisdom or insight will come to the mind and it will benefit you in your life. But then your mind's so well trained, you don't even hold on to it. You just allow it to soak in and then let it go. And then when you come out of your meditation, you might decide, okay, let me act on that. Let me take some action on that really wholesome result, that really wholesome idea, that insight or wisdom that came to me during the meditation. But you have to get rid of the craving, desire, attachment. You have to get rid of the hatred, anger, ill will. You have to get rid of the delusion, ignorance, unknowing of true reality and all those 10 fetters before you will get this wisdom or insight coming into the mind and it will naturally happen. So this is why we're not trying to eliminate thoughts from the mind. What we're trying to do is still the mind, purify it from all these pollution of the mind, still the mind and bring it to the breath and quiet stillness. Then doing that for longer and longer periods of time, you will see that you'll end up getting wisdom and insight that will help you in your life. I'd like to ask a question, David. So you recently mentioned that we should trust everybody or through our practice, we should be willing to trust everybody. But how then could we respond if we encounter someone we, we know has a tendency to be dishonest or even one further where they're saying something that we know unequivocally is not true and it's something we know, uh, but we, can, we know they're being dishonest at, at that moment. Do we still trust someone who's doing that? The mind needs to get to a point to be enlightened where you trust everybody and you don't prejudge people because of 
their gender or their sexual orientation, their race, their religion, their national origin or anything like that. You have to be able to trust all people. But that also comes with discernment, right? Discernment is wise decision making, okay? Let me give you an example. Say I have a new neighbor that moves in across the street. Let's just say in the past, I was taught and my mind was conditioned to believe that all people with tattoos are horrible people and they're in gangs and they use drugs and they're up to no good. And that was how my mind was conditioned growing up. Now this new neighbor moves in and has all kinds of tattoos. And now because of that conditioning, I look down on this person. I think badly of this person. I don't trust this person. And now during the interactions where when this person is outside and I'm outside, I don't really quite get along. There's kind of like a rub or I kind of shun this person and I'm not interested in having a relationship because this conditioning of the mind is tainting my view. This is the pollution. This is the conditioning of the mind that inhibits you from having open, trusting relationships with all people. Now, this neighbor who just moved in across the street has given me no indication that there's anything wrong with that individual and that I shouldn't trust them. But because of this conditioning and my mind holding on to this conditioning, then I'm inhibiting the ability to have an open relationship where I could otherwise have a very good friendship. Now, let's say this individual comes over, introduces themselves, and offers me a fresh cut coconut and says, here, this is for you. I'd like to offer this to you. And now say I either turn it down, which is not accepting what is given, which would cause unwholesome results, or say I accept it, but then I throw it away because my mind is conditioned to think maybe they put poison or something like this into the coconut, right? Well, all of this is just getting in the way of the mind being trusting and open and having a lovely relationship with someone who just moved in across the street. And this is how the conditioning of our mind that the mind holds on to gets in the way of having open, trusting, loving, beneficial relationships where someone who's enlightened and doesn't have this conditioning of the mind, somebody moves in, you say hello or whatever you end up doing or you smile, whatever you, however you develop a relationship. This person offers you a coconut, you accept it, you drink it, you thank them. There's a polite conversation. Maybe a few days later or next week, maybe you offer them something as a way of returning the gratitude and generosity and you offer it back. And now you've got this nice, wonderful relationship where everything between you and your neighbor is going outstanding and you've developed this very wholesome relationship because neither one of you have conditioning and you've just met each other on mutual terms of being trusting and open with each other. That would be ideal. But now let's say somewhere along the line, you observe that they are outside doing harmful things. Let's say the individuals are cheating on each other. Say it was a husband and wife and you notice that they're involved in sexual misconduct or you see them hitting their children you see them uh, cussing and yelling at each other you see them you know up all hours of night you know tossing beer cans out of their house well now you've got some insight that 
whoa, everything is not good here. Not that you're judging them, not that you're looking down on them, not that you're putting yourself above them or below them. You're not measuring or comparing, but you've got some insight that you didn't have before. And if this person came over to you and said, hey, I'm going out to do something with my, you know, whatever, and I would like you to come along. Well, at that point, you're not distrusting them but you've got discernment, you've got wise decision-making that, hey, this person is using substances, they're involved in cheating on their partner, they're involved in other things, and if I go with them, perhaps they're under the influence now, and we could actually end up in a car accident. And that wouldn't be a wise decision for me because I need to maintain my life in order to take care of my family. So if at that point, you politely, kindly decline. It's not that you don't trust them. It's that they've given you some reasons to see that, hey, all isn't well here. And it wouldn't be wise for me to associate with people that are using drugs and alcohol and cheating on their partners and things like this, because that is going to potentially affect me if I make the choice to get into a car with this person, then I could end up in an accident very easily. Or if they've got drugs in the car and the car gets pulled over, I could get arrested for being with this person in the car, even though I don't have anything to do with those drugs whatsoever. So this is where you need to be trusting and open with all people without judging them one way or another. But if you ever get insight or knowledge of certain aspects of their life that you see it wouldn't be wise for you to move forward with a relationship with this person, this is where you apply discernment or wise decision making. But you need to do that without judgment and looking down on the person and still maintaining your loving kindness and compassion for the individual. Okay, just a follow up. So say it's a boy who cries wolf type scenario where in other words their track record at telling the truth has just been quite low right so someone who has in the past lied consistently uh, we understand impermanence we understand they're not always lying we understand that they have the ability to change and improve the state of their mind and cease telling so many lies however if this person was to come to us yet another time and say something else should we always assume they're telling the truth or should we apply some discernment here and acknowledge there's probably quite a high probability that they're not even though we don't actually know whether they are or not you should never assume that they're telling the truth and you should never assume that they're lying either if someone has a track record of lying and you choose not to engage with them as a friend or as a business partner or something like that, that's their karma because they've consistently lied to you. You've observed with your own eyes, not just somebody telling you that they lie, right? Because this is gossip. But you see with your own eyes, you see the truth that this person has deceived you and had false speech in the past. So if you choose not to go forward, either in a personal or business relationship, that's discernment. That's wise decision making, because why would you be interested in having a friendship or a business partnership with someone who is lying? Because that's not going to result in anything wholesome for you, because they're not just lying to you. They're lying to other people, too, which is going to 
make it hard for you to have a business partnership with this person. So if you're observing that, not assuming it, not having the perception of this person's automatically going to lie to me, but you see it with your own eyes on a couple of occasions, and maybe you even raise the question to them and saying, hey, Bob, you know, we've known each other for six months and, you know, I've always known that everything was fine between us, but I just noticed that, you know, this over here wasn't accurate. Can you help me understand why, right? Because you need to be sure it's not your own perceptions, that maybe there's an honest explanation of why you think they lied, but in reality, they didn't. So rather than just assume they lie because it looks like they lied, I would suggest if you're able is to talk to the person and try to clarify it because there might be a, a completely honest, simple answer. And this is what it means to not hold on to your perceptions. When the Buddha talks about the five aggregates, form, feeling, perceptions, volitional formations, and consciousness. If you have a feeling that somebody has lied to you, which develops a perception in your mind that this person has lied to you, and you've made the decision with volitional formations that I no longer am going to associate with this person, well, that might be a right decision. It might not be a right decision. You might actually be judging that person. So that's why it's good for your consciousness, good for your mind to now Go talk to that person calmly, politely, using the five factors of well-spoken speech without blame and those other five factors and sit down and make sure you clarify it. Because if you just sweep it under the carpet and you ignore it, well, now you might be involved with somebody who truly is lying. Or maybe you're involved with somebody who you think is lying, which is going to hinder and modify your decision making. But really, they're not. They're not really lying. And it's going to create stress and problems in this relationship. So rather than just brushing it under the carpet, wherever you see somebody might be lying, it's important to sit down and talk about it openly. And don't call them a liar. And don't say, I think you lied to me. But just say, hey, you know, you mentioned this to me, but what I'm seeing is this. Can you help me understand better? And then see what they say. And then if they were able to talk through that and you see another one and another one and another one, eventually you're going to have enough evidence to either show that, yes, this person's legitimate and they're telling you the truth, or it's going to confirm what you originally thought, which is they're lying to you. Then it's no longer a perception. You're no longer assuming at that point you've got direct knowledge that this person has lied to you on three occasions or five occasions or eight occasions. I don't know how many it's gonna take you to decide I'm not gonna associate with this person anymore, but I think that's probably what most people would come to, and that's that person's gamma. If you notice people who lie a lot, they tend to have a lot of trouble with personal relationships and business relationships because nobody can trust them. So it's not that you should trust all people regardless of what's going on in the world. It's that you shouldn't prejudge people based on your own perceptions. You should trust all people from the get-go, from the beginning. And then as long as that's going well and you're having a good, wholesome relationship, then you've trusted that person from the beginning and it's developed and blossomed into a wonderful relationship. But if any point during that relationship you get information that something's awry, 
you need to address that and to keep the relationship above board and keep everything clean. And if at any point you realize this person really is lying to you, there's nothing wrong with choosing to no longer associate with that person, but just be sure you maintain your loving kindness and you maintain your compassion that you don't walk away with anger and hatred toward this person, even if they steal money from you. Right. I had an employee one time stole over four thousand dollars from me when I was in America and I had insurance at the time. So I was paid back for all of it. But, you know, I eventually got to the point where I wasn't angry at this person. I just let it go. And I knew like, okay, it's better if I just let it go initially because I wasn't practicing the teachings back then as closely as I am now. But back then, yeah, I was angry and I wasn't even angry about the money because I knew I was going to get it back from the insurance. I was just angry that this person broke my trust. Now, will I ever give that person another job? No. If somebody called me for a reference and say, hey, this person worked for you. Can you help me understand how was their performance? Would I say, oh, trust this person? No, I would say, well, based on the police investigation, based on everything that happened, this person stole money from me and You know, that's not gossip at that point. That is informing this person what happened with real evidence because I have the evidence to prove that this person stole money. And if I didn't share that information with this new employer who was calling me for a reference, then I'm being deceptive. I'm holding back the truth when I know the truth and that can harm somebody. If this person chose to hire that person without me sharing this information, then I'm causing harm in the world. So I've got to be comfortable to share this information in a polite, kind, friendly and respectful way. But I've got to make sure that it's the truth. I can't just say I think she stole money or I have a feeling she stole money because now that's gossip. Right. I've got to know 100 percent sure. And even when I know 100% sure that she stole money from me, I can't go out on the street and start telling everyone she stole money from me and gossiping about her and spreading bad things about her. I'm going to maintain the business. And then if somebody happens to call, then when I'm in the situation where someone's asking, this person worked for you, what was it like? At that point, I'm able to then share politely, kindly, friendly, and respectfully what the results of her employment were. Well, thank you, Dave. That's really helpful. I'm just looking at the okay. time, Max. I actually um, need to finish today. Sure. Uh, I had something scheduled at 1030 tonight, which isn't normal. But um, I, I don't know if you guys had more questions. Maybe that was the last one. But there's always more sessions in the future. But just looking at the time, I need to, to go. Okay, sure. Well, we had a, a, a couple more, but uh, we can certainly save those and come back to them. So. Yeah, maybe you can save them for another session or if those people would post them into the Facebook group, then I will answer them in the Facebook group. Thank you very much, David. Okay. Thank you all for joining. I appreciate that you're learning and practicing the teachings. I don't normally have something to do after class, but something came up that I need to go attend to. So I will see you at our next class, either this Saturday, which is the Pali Canon in English, where we're going to be studying the first 27 chapters of this book, which will take you about an hour to read, Sotapanna. 
And then on Sunday, we're going to be going through the frequently asked questions of the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. So that's at the very end of the book, the frequently asked questions. And part of those is how to determine if you've attained enlightenment. So be sure to read that. And then next Wednesday, we'll be doing breathing mindfulness meditation. So until then, have a lovely rest of your day. Take care and be well. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.